Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Off the Glass, Nothing But Net, and Up and Under Networks. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. Hello, Pelicans fans, and welcome. This is The Bird Calls, the official podcast of TheBirdRights.com. I am David Grubb, and I'll be filling in for Preston Ellis as host today. I am being joined by Kevin Barrios and Jamil Dunn. Gentlemen, welcome. What's going on, man? Hello. What's going on? You're doing well, guys? Oh, yeah. My dog is a back pillow right now. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, look, the season's over, so I'm doing great. So, you know, I don't have, I got no problems today. So let's, let, let's take a quick moment. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, Talk to us at Cordell and Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Then shall we, uh, to reflect on this 2018-2019 season, which will undoubtedly go down as one of the most historic seasons in Pelicans slash Hornets history, and for no good reasons at all. So just off the cuff, guys, just tell me your impressions of this season, um, you know, how you felt coming in and then where you are today. Yeah, Jamal. Kevin, you want to hit a little? Yeah, oh, or Jamal, okay. you to- yeah let Jamal go first. I'm always on here. All right. All right. So, so coming into the season, I, look, I, I did think that they had a legit shot to make the playoffs. Um, you know, I, I love the, the combo of Nico and AD. Um, you know, I love that group. You know, and then they got off uh, to a you know a decent start. I, I liked Alfred Payton. He looked like he was going to be a good defensive complement to Drew. You know, really early on, talking about the first really four to six games there, and then kind of it, it's funny because Payton was honestly sort of the first domino to fall. Um, he breaks his finger. He's out forever. It seems like, um, and. Everything, you know, everything else kind of fell apart after that. Now, of course, I don't think AD has requested a trade because of Alfred Payton. I don't think that at all. But, um, but they did start losing at that point. That would, you know, at which point it made it much easier for him to make a demand during the season, right? If you're five, six, seven games above 500, it's pretty hard to make a trade demand at that point. Um, and it would have gotten progressively harder as the Lakers you know, started to fade. Everybody blames that on the injuries. I, I just think they were going to get exposed, right? Houston was in 14th place at the same time the Lakers were in fourth. So as the Lakers slide and the Pels were still, they were still doing well, making it hard to make a trade demand. So, um, you know, as things started falling apart, uh, AD makes this trade demand, which I think we all saw coming. I think, you know, after the Rich Paul, after he picked, you know, Rich Paul and switched agencies to, the club sports, I think we all kind of knew it was coming in. At that point, it was more, can the team win enough to maybe change AD's mind? 
um, from the direction that recent actions look to be going? Um, and the answer to that, of course, was no. So he makes the trade demand. Um, and at first, it was weird because none of us were really upset about it or anything like that. It was just more of an expected thing that we kind of hoped wouldn't happen but knew was going to happen. Um, and I think that not only bird rights, but even the fans kind of took that in stride and were like, well, he did try, and you know, I guess he's going to try something new now. Um, and that was really how it started. It wasn't uh, this bitter thing. And then, you know, clutch happens, right? And they all the leaks and all the, you know, back channeling happens and things get uglier and uglier. And it honestly ended a way I never thought it would end with Anthony Davis. I did, I seriously thought that he, that there was a chance that he would demand a trade. Uh, but I didn't think it would, I thought it would be much, uh, much friendlier process than maybe the, the Chris Paul situation was. But I mean, he made Chris Paul and the way he departed New Orleans look like, you know, just a, a class act. Um, because AD and, and his representation took it to a whole different level. Um, and at that point, it was sort of two seasons, right? It was the season up to the trade and then the season after the trade. After the trade, um, from a basketball standpoint, it got kind of tough, right? It was, you know, a lot of guys who weren't getting a lot of minutes. And it was great from a developmental standpoint for the young guys who will remain with this roster. Um, but from a fan standpoint, it wasn't always great to look at. And the situation with AD seemed to get weirder and weirder. Um, and then, of course, you have the national media who every few years will, will you know, parachute down into New Orleans and tell us how bad how bad of a place it is, uh, both the franchise and the city and, and everything else, right? Um, <laughs> our ownership doesn't know anything, which, uh, who knows, may be true. But, um, you know, they, it was irritating seeing national pundits who have no idea how anything works uh, with the Pels, what, what is dysfunctional, because there are some areas that are, and things that actually are functional and you just don't know, <laughs> you know, because you don't follow the team. So that was irritating as a fan to hear the national people uh, getting in on it when they really don't know what's going on too much. Um, and then, really, at that point, we had the, the long slog at the end, right? The last 15 games where it was just sort of hold your nose and hope that Christian Wood can, <laughs> you know, put up another, another double-double. So uh, my expectations coming in were at least a playoff team, you know, talking, I was thinking between five and seven in terms of seeding. Um and so, of course, the season didn't live up to that. Um, but there were, of course, mitigating circumstances. I still think they probably they could have had a chance to squeeze in if AD doesn't blow the whole thing up. Um, but, you know, it, it didn't happen. So I, I guess overall it was a disappointing season, although oddly entertaining. You know, uh, somehow I still was kind of entertained by all the uh, back and forth. And the Lakers falling apart, uh, as I predicted before the season, also was <laughs> – pretty cool to watch so it was overall disappointing but um it was just a tough season man but it's yeah, one i'm gonna but, remember but the, the worst part though for me and, and I, before i get to kevin is like and i got some different things for kevin but the worst thing for me was just, it didn't really get bad until the last two weeks like you, yeah. it got to the point then i think because of the basketball was still relatively competitive we were all still watching the games and being like oh okay this is nice but then those last two weeks hit and it felt like the season couldn't end. And so, yeah, I think that part now that it's done, at least that part is gone. So, Kevin, yeah. for you then, instead of that, the, a longer assessment, then let's just hit on three quick things for you. Sure. What was your high point this season? What is the, like, the good thing you'll take out of this? Who was the biggest surprise as a player? And who was the biggest disappointment this season? As okay. a player, non Anthony Davis related, because we don't, right, right. that's that would that's somebody else. I would say the 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 high point was watching the team once um, once AD was hurt, and it was just Drew Holiday and Frank Jackson and those other young guys in the mix, and they were winning games whenever Anthony Davis sat. It was like a great like sort of spit in his face, you know. Like I had to have him questioning a lot of things. I think actually Jabal had said that once in a group chat that like he has to be sitting there questioning what is wrong with me that this team that I couldn't win with is winning with Drew Holiday and a bunch of scrubs. And when I play, we're terrible, you know? Um, so 
for me, that was the high point, that little stretch run where Drew was the man and he was dominating games and he had like Frank with him, Alfred and, um, you know, Darius was playing well for a while. Um, that's, that's the part that was fun for me outside of the first four games, obviously, which, uh, you know, was very exciting. Um, the biggest disappointment for me was definitely Julius Randle. I was very high on that signing and I just thought, I've said this before. I thought we were getting like a Kyle Anderson that could score and was willing to score, you know, a guy that was a versatile defender could switch all over the court, protected the rim, but also was a a nifty pastor and a great facilitator and would let, and would, uh, you know, ease the burden of running the offense. Whereas he was more of a black hole on offense. Um, and he was not a rim protector at all and was not versatile defense. I mean, basically played no defense, um, and what was the other question? I'm sorry, David. The biggest surprise player, the guy. Who oh, the biggest surprise player. I guess. Uh, I mean, I would say it has it has to be tied somewhere between uh, Kenrick Williams and um, Christian Wood, because you know Kenrick, we weren't sure what he was coming in. I know uh, Shamit was high on him on media day. I don't really watch a lot of college basketball, so I never saw him play. Um, and we never saw him early on in the season, but then when he started to get on the court, and especially when he got into the role where he was playing um, more of a power forward side and he was like rebounding like crazy and boxing out and hitting o- open corner threes, you know, that was very impressive. And then now this late run of uh, garbage time minutes for Christian Wood, where he looks like a garbage time all star, you know, it's going to, we'll hopefully see next year if he's a guy that actually is what he looked like he could be, or if it's just, you know, Bad minutes, I mean, um, bad, bad time, bad team, uh, guy who can score and somebody's got to score and there's no pressure on because there's no, you know, you're not playing for anything. Um, see if he transcends that into an actual player. But, I mean, there's things to, you know, be excited about at least. So I would say it's a tie between those two guys. Now, either one of you guys can jump in on this one, but you look at the team and you say there are, potentially, and again, we're not counting Anthony and, and, and his trade, but outside of that, there are potentially 10 guys on this roster who could not be back next season by either team choice, their own um, free agency, or, um, by the player, or by player option. How do you go into that, knowing we still don't have a GM? And we'll talk about GM predictions in just a second, but don't have a GM, you don't have a coach, so you don't have a, a philosophy of play how do you go into the offseason right now before the lottery, before the draft, and assess your roster when you have so many guys who are variables? For me, I think that's the thing is that you have to just consider a bunch of different variables. What would happen if this is what happens? If this is the coach, if this is the Anthony Davis trade package we get back? Um, because, you know, there's very different Anthony Davis trade packages out there that dictates what your team's going to be the next year. Like if you make a trade with the Toronto Raptors where you get Siakam, OG Anadobe, Van Fleet, Van Vliet back, you know, you pair that with Drew Holiday, that's a team that's going to be competing for the playoffs right there. So that changes how you draft, how you look at the what's on your roster, um, who you uh, target in free agency, what your free agent needs are. Um, or, you know, if you make a trade with New York where you're getting mostly young players and draft picks back, then you might even consider trading Drew Holiday, although, like, personally, I don't want to. I want him here, but I could understand a move to do that because it's building from the ground up. You know, a Boston trade brings in a guy like Tatum who's young but ready to play right right now. You know, also kind of win now. You got another guy like Marcus Smart and maybe even, like, Al Horford or Gordon Hayward in that package uh, to make up for the salaries. Um, so... You know, it's really you just got to look at a bunch of different variables. And I think that's sort of what, like, Chris Connor and I's series that we've been writing is that because we there's so much that's unknown at this point, you can't really lay out a clear plan. You could look at how these different variables would fit and affect other things. Um, so, Jamal, oh, no, I'm sorry. No, that's it. That's good. Go ahead. So, Jamal, when you look at, this, at, the, at the roster and you say the guys that you expect to be back, are Drew Holiday, uh, Etwan Moore, uh, uh, Solomon Hill, and Jaleel Okafor would be the four that, uh, and then I guess Christian Wood. I would say those five are probably the locks. I'd say Kevin right now. I would say Yeah, I think that that's our, our that's six. 
So he said, and you, so would not, and then Trayvon Blewett is coming back, but we're, we're not, you know, different situation. So out of those seven guys, we, we, those seven, who do you think are the least likely of the guys who are right now locked on the roster? Who would be the likely to get moved, whether it's Solo, Etwan, or even Drew? Do you think any of those guys are gone um, by the time we get to the to next season? Uh, yeah, I, I definitely think Etwan Moore is probably going. Um, he's a guy whose his contract is, uh, you know, it's it's middling, so it's not a bad contract. It's about eight million dollars, I think. Um, so it's it's not or eight and a half. Uh, so it's not a hard contract to move. He's going into the final year of his contract. Uh, he's a, a good shooter, you know. So it, it, any team that looks at his stat sheet is going to see that. Uh, so he's not going to be a difficult guy to move. And I think he's a he's a guy who you probably would move. Um, he, I, Maybe as a part of an AD trade, but probably in a separate deal where you get a pick or a young player or something like that. Um, you know, let each one move, move, move on. I mean, I just feel like, and it may depend on who the GM is because I feel like we've gotten everything we're going to get out of Etwan. He's he's really a, a a good team role player guy. So, kind of to Kevin's point, if if they put together a deal where they, they, they think, for instance, the deal Kevin mentioned for Toronto, then I think it's reasonable to keep Etwan Moore uh, because he's a, a role player that should be on a good team because really the Pels have made his role much bigger than what he really should have, right? Um, and But if you have better players and a better team, maybe you keep him. But he's not a guy who I think they're going to have any interest in re-signing after this season. Uh, so I think this is a perfect time to move him. He's 29, hasn't hit that 30-year mark yet. So I think they could get something for him, either a low first-round pick, um, you know, maybe at the draft or something like that, or, or even a couple second-round picks, which they seem to be collecting. So I think of those guys you named, uh, in terms of somebody who could get traded this offseason, I think Etwan Moore, at least for me, would be uh, high on that list. I think it makes sense, too, for Etwan to be the guy because I think if you're the next regime, you'd like Frank Jackson to start assuming those minutes. I mean, yeah. that's, you know, young, cheap, a guy who's shown he can score um, off, the, off the bench. If Frank comes back and you think that he's got an outside shot that's more consistent, I, I think those are the minutes that you want him to have. Because you don't want Eton playing small forward anymore. Going forward, that, that was a, a Band-Aid um, solution to a deep wound. And it, it's time. I think you're right. It, you've gotten everything that you can reasonably squeeze out of him as far as his value it's not going to get any better from this point and i don't think he's a a long-term you know re-signee so I, I would agree with you there it looks like the gm race is pretty much done here from from all indications it feels like danny ferry is going to be moved from interim general manager to to full-time either president of basketball operations slash gm or just one or the other um jamal will start with you this time your thoughts on the likelihood of Ferry being the GM and your thoughts of him in that role? Uh, it seems <laughs> it's pretty likely at this point. I mean, they've got the local media pumping him. Um, you've got Jeff Duncan, who's as connected to the Saints as anybody in the city. Uh, so clearly he's got some fires in on airline drive. He wrote a fluff piece about him uh, earlier in the week. Fletcher, Fletcher Mackle has been, been, been pushing him. I don't think that's coming from 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 just nowhere, right? Um, so it it does seem like he's going to be the guy. I mean, I would still be interested in him being president, and you know, I'm, I'm holding out hope for Trayvon Langdon, who's always kind of been my guy throughout this process, because I really just want a new voice there. I don't want, and I get it. I'm not trying to blame Ferry for it, because at the end of the, end of the day, it's very different being a consultant than being the actual general manager, but. Um, I just want some type of new blood, somebody who hasn't been uh, entrenched in, in what the, the Pels have been doing, uh, just to bring a different perspective. So I'm hoping that if it is him, they bring in, whether it's Langdon or someone, someone else, uh, as a GM underneath him. Um, but it, it, I could also see it going the other way and just making it be fairy, um, you know, without any without any additional hires in terms of the general manager. So um, not my preference, but I'm also not, it's one of those things where I'm not disappointed in, in the choice, but I, I still wanted somebody else. 
Kevin, your thoughts, and, and, and not only on Ferry, but also on the process of, of going about this search. Do you think that it was a process done, um, to quote uh, Magic Johnson, our fallen friend, in good faith? <laughs> uh, I mean, it's hard to say. I, I wish it was a little bit more wide-reaching. I wish we would have saw a few more names uh, in there uh, for them to talk to. Um, I, I think a lot of people think I'm super anti-fairy, which I'm not. I, I mean, he wouldn't have been my choice. I mean, but I'm not upset that he is a try. I'm slightly disappointed, but I think, like, when I look at his track record, you know, you look at what he built around LeBron James, and I that those teams were extremely successful. And to me, that's a testament to how great LeBron James was at an early age, because if you look at those rosters, I think they're far worse than anything Dell Demps put around Anthony Davis. It just speaks to the difference in those two players and, and where they are in, in rankings of uh, greatest of all time or best power forwards of all time. Um, so I, I don't think that job was very good, but I do think that he did an amazing job in Atlanta and it just got cut short because of, we all know about, you know, the whole thing with Luol Dang. And I just felt like, I think people think I'm against him because of that. And I, I just question the move of that. And you guys are better guys to speak to how you guys feel about it than I am. I just think it's something that the team should have definitely got the pulse of the city on, you know, because it's, it, it's something racially involved and it's something that in a city that's 60% black and you're trying to, um, you know, win this fan base over. And by bringing a guy with a stain in, does that hurt things? If, if you have two candidates that are equal and it's not necessarily fair to a fairy, if it truly is just him reading somebody else's words without reading them first, you know, for him to be stuck with that, I understand that aspect as well. Um, it's just something that I think that should be addressed and looked into. Um, and that's all I was saying in that article about that. I don't necessarily think he shouldn't get the job because of it, but if I was hiring him, I would be doing the due diligence to see how the community felt about him. And I just don't feel like that was done also. But um, as far as his job performance, I think he had a successful on paper performance in Cleveland, although I don't really like the work he did there. But I think he did a great job in Atlanta putting together a team that had five players go to the all five starters go to the all-star game and the hiring of Mike Budenholzer obviously was great. You see with the work he's doing now in, in Milwaukee, how he totally changed their offense from like basically a kindergarten offense that they were running on their kid in Triano and, uh, you know, elevated them to the best record in the NBA. Um, so, uh, you know, he, a coaching hire like that is, is a great thing to see. And also, you know, the roster he built in Atlanta was solid. So, you know, it's a mixed bag, but also the perception of him just being a holdover from the old regime is also a little tough to swallow, but that doesn't mean I don't think he can do a good job. It's just that, you know, it, you, you kind of like to see a new era because this era has such a sour taste in your mouth right now because of the way it all unfolded. Yeah. I think it's a well, difficult sell for, for um, just for a quick second. I think it is a difficult sell PR wise. And then just to break down the points that y'all, you guys both talked about being made by, you know, local media, the points that they, that in particular, that were in the Duncan article, number one, they came from the Spurs organization. Well, that was the sell on Dell. Number yeah. two was that he's successful, like you said, in Cleveland with LeBron. Well, yeah, they won 64% of their games. But like you said, no significant draft picks, no major free agent signings of, of like game changing guys. Antoine Jameson, Danielle Marshall, those kind of guys don't count to me. Ricky Davis. That type of stuff, that doesn't really impress me. But, yes, they did win, and they did make a finals appearance in Cleveland. But, I don't. again, how much of that is on Ferry and how much of that is the greatness of LeBron, as Kevin said? And then the other part, when you go to Atlanta, the thing I've heard, unless we can even take the other one, take the, the Luau Dang situation outside, is respected basketball mind, didn't get along with people. Right. And then, so that issue for Dell was he didn't get along with people whether it was players, staff, the community. So I think it, to me, that's where the reach is as well, is why bring in another person when you're trying to reestablish a connection with the city, a guy who's not known for establishing personal connections. Yeah. Jamel, and, you wanna... and, and, yeah, yeah I, I, really, I think um, 
I think that's a great point that you make there. But additionally, to what Kevin was saying, the Dell Demps era was so long in NBA in NBA years, right? What was he here? Eight years, nine years, something like that. Like when you don't win anything of of import, very few general managers get that that type of uh, leeway, right? Which which actually is a feather in, in the Pelts cap, right? Other GMs or candidates actually like that, that you actually give your guy time. But at the same time, from a fan perspective, it was such a long era. And then to have Ferry, who fairly or unfairly is associated with that regime, because he was a part of that, even if it was in a limited fashion, he was a part of that uh, administration. So, you know, to have basically that era continue, uh, it, it, at least in terms of perception, for me, would be untenable. And it's not like Ferry, you know, he's got a solid NBA resume as a front office, front office exec. Um, and so it, it's not like, you know, you're making a terrible hire if you do that. But to me, he's not so far above any of the other candidates that, you know, I just can't move on from him, you know. And, yeah, there's lots of people around the NBA who have positive things to say about him. Um, but of course that's going to happen, right? The guy lost his job. He's, he's been out of, uh, of, of a real front office position for years now. So of course the people who like him in the league are going to feel like, okay, well, regardless, he's paid his whatever penance he was needing to pay, you know, and I don't, from a fan perspective, I don't think it's going to matter all that much. I would be more concerned about how players perceive him, um, fair or unfair, but, but yeah, that, so that was my main, main beef with the fairy hire, but from a basketball perspective, I don't think it's a, a disaster. I just would prefer a, a truly fresh voice and vision. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to add to something Miles said, you know, when it comes to dealing with players, that's another thing. Say that they, we already sort of discussed this Toronto trade. Now, if you have Danny Ferry handling a trade to Toronto, where you're getting back Siakam and OG Ananobi, two players of African descent. Do they have issues with the with the general manager that they're coming to? Are they going to want to stay here long term? You know, it's just those kind of things that also you have to ask yourself. Yeah, is the juice worth the squeeze on that one? Um, before we go to the uh, questions that we got from Twitter, uh, the lottery. Um, Pelicans in a three-way tie for seventh right now. Tiebreaker is done tomorrow, I believe. So um, if they finish seventh, 26.3% chance of jumping into the top four. Um, I, I think that the, you know getting into the top four at this point or having the Knicks uh, win the lottery are really the only two things that would be – those are the two best outcomes for the Pelicans. Get in the top four somehow or have the Knicks get, win number one. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, yeah I, I would. Oh, you can go ahead, Kevin. No, I was just gonna say, yeah. I mean that, or you know, you also got to look at how Boston's picks fall because they could. Um, I think you would maybe want uh, Memphis to not convey this year because I think it's unprotected the next year if you were to make that pick that trade with uh, Boston, correct? And then this right. year's draft is pretty weak, so if you're if you're getting like you know the seventh or I mean the the ninth pick in this draft, I guess what it would eighth or ninth pick in this draft, I think is the way the protection would be. It would mm-hmm. stay with um, Boston this year. Um, I mean, sorry, it would go, uh, God, I got it all turned around. Stay with Memphis. Yeah, right. You want the Memphis pick the next year because they probably won't mm-hmm. be good again next year. They might even try to move Mike Conley in the off season, those kind of things and be even worse. And, and next year's draft should be better. Um, so there's that because you can get a, a handful of picks from Boston still and a core that can compete right away. You could kind of get the best of both worlds. Um, so I think that Boston deal is still pretty uh, is, is something you should definitely want uh, to consider highly. Also, you know, you would still have your own pick in there, which would maybe fall into the fourth. But, you know, if you could get Zion or Morant from New York, then that's also something to consider uh, long term. So I think those deals are all very solid deals. All right. Well, yeah, let's from, go to our question. Oh, sorry. Jimmy, you want to drop in and stay on that? Oh yeah. I, I was just saying any, any scenario where they land in the top four is, is obviously the dream scenario, right? Cause you're at that point, you're operating from a position of strength, 
rather than, you know, hoping to get something from somebody else. You already have something in the bag. Um, and you could even, you know, you could even trade it, you know, for a future pick if you like, which you get in the Anthony Davis package. You could trade that for a future pick um, in a very sort of Boston Danny Ainge type of style where in there were certain drafts where he didn't like anybody, even though he had a good pick, so he would just trade it for a pick the next year and pick up an additional pick, right? So I think that's that would be my dream scenario uh, in terms of a pick. All right. Let's go on to our questions. First one's from J.D. Billio, and his question is, is Dave Yeager the best candidate for the Pelicans' head coaching job or the bestest candidate? <laughs> Jamal, you got that one. Uh, I, I like Dave Yeager, but I don't think – and look, it depends on who the new management likes. Obviously, that's really what it comes down to. But, um, you know, I, I wouldn't hate Dave Yeager. Um, there's other candidates who I would prefer, either um, – Ettore Messina from the Spurs, who, um, if someone like Langdon uh, had gotten the job or gets the job, um, would probably be the, the coach as, as he coached Langdon uh, in, in in Russia, uh, or Becky Hammond, who, who I've talked about before. So I like those uh, options better, but Jaeger wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be a bad option. All right, um, this one's for you, Kevin at Nola Legend. And his question is, who uh, would be your top draft, draft prospect for the Pelicans, obviously outside of Zion and Ja? Um, you know, I, you should actually give this one to Jamile and hit me on another one because I don't really watch okay. basketball. I'll go back and I haven't started looking at draft picks really outside of the you know, oh, no big names. Jamal, yeah. who would you hit on there? Give me a couple, two names. Okay, so the first guy I like is, um, and everybody seems to be down on him now, and I kind of get why, but um, R.J. Barrett, right? So coming into the season, Barrett was actually the Zion of the draft, right? Everybody, that was a guy who everybody was talking about, uh, and Zion was more in the third, fourth spot um, in terms of that conversation. So um, I love, I love Barrett. Now, now there's deficiencies in his game, and he's going to be a guy. He's not necessarily going to be a huge help to you next year um, because he's got some deficiencies that he's got to overcome. Uh, he needs to get better going to the right. He's a left-handed player. He needs to get better, um, you know, finishing with his right. He needs to get better uh, at with his jump shot. But I think those are all areas that he can that he can improve in. And he already has some really good strengths for a guy his size. He can really handle the ball. He knows how to drive the basketball. Uh, he's got good vision and can pass. But he does have some holes in his game. So he's more of a guy who I could see in three years being somebody who everybody's like, oh my goodness, we weren't talking about him in that, you know, you know, 2019 draft. So. Um, outside of those top two guys, I, I would I would prefer them to go with uh, with Barrett. And you know, I hate to stick on the same team uh, with a guy who people hate even more. But I think Cam Reddish. You know, first of all, I don't like college basketball. I think it sucks the talent out of the game. Uh, and so you have these guys who are used to playing a certain way. And sometimes in college basketball, it's so such a stifling game in terms of what it does to, to really talented um, singular players, they don't get to really get exposed. And so, but I like Reddish too, and this is more sort of based on his high school um, rep, really, than his college rep, which he barely has, right? Or was only there for six months. Um, but, you know, a guy who was known as a guy who could, who had a good stroke, who could shoot, who could take you off the dribble. Um, but I think he's going to be more of a high level role player type of guy, which, I don't mind drafting other people. You know, it has to be a Hall of Famer for them to like the guy. Um, and then there's DeAndre Hunter. None of his draft. No, no. So, but I could see him being something like a, you know, a really uh, like kind of what Iguodala has been in Golden State. Not necessarily what he was in Philly, but in Golden State. Um, but of course, the younger versions. Okay, this one's for you then. Um, if Kevin Durant. Uh, stays with the dubs, and I'm not sure what that has to do for us, but the second part is more um, interesting then. Are you open to a process year in 2019-2020 for the Pelicans? Like, just bottoming out try- and trying to rebuild from there. 
I guess the idea of them saying that about Durant is that, you know, that the Warriors will stay a superpower for the long haul for a while longer. Whereas if Durant leaves to go to New York as is, as rumored or somewhere else, like the power at the top of the West starts to crumble and maybe like, you know, your teams like Portland and Denver and, and potentially us, depending on what we could, you know, yeah, could start to actually, you know, compete for a, for the Western conference championship. You know, it's not stacked. That's what I would take from that question. But, um, in terms of that, like a, a rebuild, I mean, I, I'm really fine with any direction, you know. I mean, I like the idea of keeping Drew Holiday because he wants to be here, and it's just I've really grown to enjoy him playing, which, you know, I was hard on him definitely early on, um, it, and he really has won me over. And I'm a super fan of his, so I just enjoy watching him play, and, and I think he's a, a really great guy to have around the team. A great, uh, He's not like that vocal on-court leader that we still need, but he is like a different kind of leader in that locker room, which I think, and he's like really involved in embracing the young guys. And I think it's hard to really bottom out if he's still here. And I really do want him here. That being said, if they were to trade Anthony Davis to the Knicks and get, you know, a young package with a bunch of picks and guys like Dennis Smith Jr. and Mitchell Robinson, whatever um, of that mix. And the GM decides that it's time to tank and he can get a nice haul for Drew Holiday as well, then I'm okay with it. I can survive it. I just think that it, it doesn't necessarily have to be that way to build this team because mm-hmm. of uh, the packages that are out there. There, Almost every one of them has some combination of young guys that could allow you to compete if you combine them with the players you have now and also you know, stuff to help you in the future. Like say for instance, like you're looking at if we were to trade Anthony Davis to the Clippers and you get like, uh, Shay Gilgis Alexander back, maybe, uh, Gallinari, Gallinari, possibly Harold, and then some future first round picks. Now you have that team is already in the playoffs. Now you add drew holiday next to Shay. And, and, you know, bring Landry off the bench as a shooter. You got the the good version of Randall and Harrell there. And then you have a guy like Gallinari who can't stay healthy, but is a guy that is a solid basketball player and can play two positions in the front court uh, for you. Um, and then you still have future first-round picks. So I don't necessarily think that there's a way that there's necessarily a need to totally bottom out. And I like the idea we've talked about this in our group chats a lot of like trying to just be like a South Portland, a team that is always in the mix, always in the playoffs winning builds a rabid fan base. Cause we're always winning and we're not necessarily having to compete for a championship, but we're just in the discussion. And one year we might luck in, like you say, if like Durant goes away and things break, right. You might sneak into the playoffs, I mean, into the finals. And then you never know what happens once you're in a seven game series. So um, that would be how I would try to build a team because I don't know that this market can necessarily sustain a long rebuild. Though, because I'm a big basketball fan and I understand like the the reward of doing that long term, I would be okay with it personally. But it wouldn't be the route I would take necessarily because of the uh, the kinds of packages that I can get for Anthony Davis. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. I agree with that completely. Um, next one at who raised them question is um, potential dark horse trade destinations for Anthony Davis. Jamal, you want to hit that one real quick? Give me like two, two teams mm. that you think that people aren't talking about that could get in the mix. Yeah. Um, so a dark horse candidate for him, I would say, I don't know if anybody's talking about Denver, um, but I think that's a, a dark horse. It, it's kind of, I don't really know because they do have, obviously they have players that are good enough to trade, but you know, it's going to take a lot and I'm not sure what will be left. So I don't really know too much if they would want to do that. I would say, you know, Chicago is another one. Like we've always heard that Anthony David doesn't want to play in Chicago. Of course, that's his hometown. We've already always heard that that was the case, but you just, you know, if Chicago really feels like, like say Chicago gets, you know, the third pick or something like that. And they're willing to throw that pick in with a bunch of their young players who are, who are nice guys. Again, that's a situation where you don't really know 
um, what you're going to have left there. Uh, a team I would I would have liked to see would would have been one of the teams on his list, one of the 29 teams on his list, um, with the Bucks, right? That he actually mentioned. But of course, the Bucks they've got a bunch of all the guys who you might want are either free agents or restricted free agents. So, um, you know, Brogdon, Middleton, uh, Nico, all those guys, which would be hilarious if they were able to trade Nico, pick trade back to Nico. Uh, so, um, so you know, all those teams. Because it's it's really well. Now that I think about it, there's one other one I could see Philly. Now that I think about it, I could see it being Philly because I, I don't know what the next GM's image of you know whatever Philly has is, but I could see a, a package around Ben Simmons, um, you know Ben Simmons and and maybe one other guy. Uh, it would be hard to see them just you know sort of signing trade Tobias Harris, but. Something around Ben Simmons and a couple of other young guys that they have on that roster and a bunch of picks I could see. But that would be more of a case if some other packages fell apart. But that would, that yeah. Would be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let me yeah. I mean, that Because I think the clutch, clutch, and it, oh, Ben Simmons, I think would be the longest of long shots. Oh, God. I forgot about the clutch thing. Oh, God. That's such a cluster. Let, uh, me, uh, <laughs> let me throw you one. Or, Orlando. Yes, that's uh, the name I've been actually hearing lately. Aaron Gordon, uh, Fultz, Bamba, and Picks. And then, you know, they got a front court of Davis, Vucevic, and Isaac. They have all that length. I think you could even send them um, Etwan in that deal to give them a little bit more shooting, but they could still keep Terrence Ross and have Fournier. They have a lot of shooting, a lot of length in the front court. They upgrade Gordon to Davis. It makes sense for them. They finally get a superstar there. Gordon comes here, you know, you try to, you know, gamble on, on Fultz figuring it out and Bamba figuring it out, and you have two high picks there, and you get future first-round picks from them. And, uh, you know, Gordon will give you highlight reel dunks and stuff like that. Maybe he develops into a complete player. If not, he's also another movable guy down the road because his contract isn't that bad. Um, and he so that's a, money I on Julius, too. Yeah, and I, and I could uh, – you know, that's a guy I could see. Get, I mean, that's a team I could see getting into the mix. Yeah. Also, Last Phoenix, week, I think, uh, would be another one to think about. Phoenix? Depending on how they how – yeah. they, they'd have to fall out of the top of the, of the lottery to me to, for them to want to get into it. Because yeah. I think if they won the, won the lottery, it's, it's imp- almost impossible to go to your fan base right now if you don't have the cachet. That's why I think the Knicks could be the only team that wins the lottery and could walk away and trade Zion – if they knew they had Durant or Kyrie in pocket and were getting Anthony Davis, mm-hmm. then they could do it. But other teams don't have that cachet to say, we're getting a generational, a potentially generational talent in Zion, a guy who's going to sell my building out every night. And we traded him for what? Because if you <laughs> trade Anthony Davis to Phoenix, does, does Phoenix think that they're going to the finals? So, what, you know, not. Anthony I mean, Davis doesn't him help and Booker Phoenix. would be a nice combo, but probably not. Is it any? Yeah, but I mean, is it any better for them in the standings than it would be with Zion being there? No, really. No. You know what I mean? So that that that's the tough part for me. Is is for some of those teams? Is like, does it move the needle? And that's why I think the Eastern teams, the, the it's so much easier to make a big jump next year for anybody in the East if you get Anthony Davis. You can add ten wins to your to your t- to, um if you have the right roster. You can add ten wins if you're a playoff team over there. But if you're in the West. There are very few teams that giving up stuff to get back Anthony Davis puts you in the mix to be to win a championship because of what you have to give up. Yeah. So I mean that's why I think Denver, like you said, because they have so many young people on their roster, guys that they can flip and they have duplicate positions. Yeah, I think they make a lot of sense because they're weak up front, you know, outside of Jokic, obviously, and Millsaps on his last legs. So So yeah, they have the flexibility on that roster. Last one, we get to end on a, a, a much easier note. Um, this one from at Pell's fan. It's a two-parter, and you both can answer it. Number one, who dresses AD? And the second, <laughs> who is your least favorite Pelicans player of all time? Who wants this to first? Good, Jamal. Uh, I'll, take, I'll take the dress. I, I think it's Anthony Davis' uh, evil twin, Davis Anthony, that, that lays out his... Uh, his clothes, <laughs> Davis Anthony, who doesn't have an eyebrow at all, so he has a little bit of a vendetta against AD. 
you know, so <laughs> so you kind of set them up, kind of set them up for it, for that. Um, and so, your so least favorite pill? Oh, easy, Eric Gordon. Let's, let's just move on. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good pick. <laughs> it's not mine, but it's a good pick. Um, so for who dresses them? Uh, well, I think you looking at a guy who is was thirsting to get Oshkosh Chris Boshed by LeBron. So I think he just dressed, <laughs> you know, his, his dad still lays out his clothes for him or something like that. Um, but uh, as far as my least favorite Pelican this is, or Hornet, it's, this is so easy for me. It's Marco Bellinelli by a mile. I cannot stand Marco <laughs> Bellinelli. I, I remember he used to come to, to where I work all the time and, I hated seeing him every time. He was like a guy who definitely acted like he, everybody should treat him a special way. Whereas other, like, I mean, Chris Paul used to come in there all the time and he was just like normal. I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio comes in there and acts normal. You know, it's not like, but he wanted all this special treatment. And then I remember specifically this one time, Travis, who's my partner in season tickets and I were working together. It was right after the Lakers series uh, where he missed every wide open shot you could imagine and he showed his dumb face in there and we just we wanted to kill him so bad and uh and he was he was sitting down at the bar and i overheard him ask uh his friend how much he should tip and i couldn't help myself i said 20 percent, just like you shot in the playoffs and, oh, then, and uh, <laughs> but on the flip side carl landry came in the next day and i was totally star starstruck because i loved carl landry um, but yeah, Marco he was Bellinelli. A hell of a guy. Uh, you know, I can't stand Marco Bellinelli. Keep him away from me, please. Get the eighty who, who just <laughs> depart. But my least uh, favorite Pelican is Norris Cole. I hated <laughs> Norris Cole, and, and especially because he cost the Pelicans Ish Smith. And I thought Ish could have really helped that team that year, um, especially when Drew went down late. And we stuck with Norris Cole, who thought he had a green light. And I, I can't, I'll never forgive him for being so bad and getting paid so much to be that bad. Also, Ishmith, well, he was like, he is the best. Well, I mean, I don't know. I guess I made up this nickname, so I'm biased in saying it's the best nickname. But uh, Ishmith, Q93 curse word, that was his nickname that we gave him. That, that, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. That, that we lost that nickname because of Norris Cole. So that's a great choice, too. Well, guys, the, the worst part uh, about Norris Cole, I, I'll just add this before you close. Mm-hmm. The worst part about Norris Cole was he was coming off, you know, a couple of years prior that run with the Heat, and so everybody thought, and I don't mean everybody, but a lot of casual fans thought that Norris Cole was like some big deal or some upgrade from what the Pels had, and it was the exact opposite. Um, you know, he was just a guy who stood around and waited for LeBron to throw him something. So that was the worst part was just talking to people and then being like, oh, you know, Norris Cole. Yeah. And, and he like, wasn't even no. maintaining the flat top right anymore. It was getting, it, no, it, it wasn't was. shot. It wasn't tight anymore. So got the least no. pop best version of him. But guys, thank you for your time. Um, I, you know, another great one in the books, Kevin, tell everybody um, how they can follow you on social media and what you got popping. Yeah. So my social media is at Kevin B for bounce. Um, and, uh, Chris Connor and I have been working on a series, which hopefully you've seen the first two parts where we come up with this arbitrary New Orleans index rating for the first part was for GM candidates. The second part was for coaches. And right now we're in the middle of working on um, AD trade packages where we give them a New Orleans index rating. And hopefully that will be done you know, by the by the middle of next week. We hope to have that, that one up for you. But the first two parts are up already, so you can – Find that on the bird rights. Jamal? Yeah, those are those are really good too, Kevin. Thank um, you. They are. So, yeah, so everybody can find me at uh, at jamdown06 on Twitter. Um, and also, so I still am working. Actually, I'm almost done with it, with that draft uh, article I was talking about last time. I'm, I'm kind of holding it, though, because nobody's really talking about the draft right now. So I may hold it until closer to, not the draft, but maybe like the lottery when they actually – the picks are actually in when people are paying attention to that. So keep an eye out for that. All right. So folks, if you, if you enjoy the podcast, go to wherever you listen to it, rate it, love it, and let other folks know about it. 
Um, we will probably be back relatively soon. Uh, probably once the GM is named, um, either late this week or early next week, and I'm sure we'll do another. <laughs> well, when when Barry hires Dell Dempsey as advisor, that's going to be <laughs> that would be epic. It, 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 you know, but again, then the sell becomes like it was is for Danny Ferry. Dell doesn't have to buy a house in New Orleans. Then he can just do it by phone, and he won't be involved in any tainted decisions. <laughs> That's fair. He's, if that's what they're giving Ferry, right? Plausible deniability by distance. Yeah. <laughs> it's so weird seeing him do that. Like, cause I sit in, like, I sit in one ten, and like, after every, like, towards the end of the third quarter, every game, uh, used to always see Dell Demps make the walk that between one ten and one eleven, and now seeing Danny Ferry do it, it's just weird, you know. After so many years of seeing Dell Demps, but I guess I'm gonna have to get used to that one. Yeah, yeah, it, it looks like so, it. We're making the shift from be, Kentucky to Duke. <laughs> it it would be so pills for them to hire a uh, executive who has literally been phoning it in. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> guys, thank you so much. Um, I'm sure the normal cast of characters, Ollie and Kevin, will, I mean Ollie and uh, Preston, will be back for the next one. But until the next time, I'm David Grubb. Let's go Pills. Thank you for listening to The Bird Calls on the Off the Glass, Nothing But Net, and Up and Under podcast networks. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes, retweet, share with your friends, and most importantly, subscribe today. Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. The moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. I can't believe it. That Gerald is presenting the quarterly budget report with finger puppets? Look, here comes a 1.7% decrease in fixed overhead. Hello, everybody. No, I can't believe how easy it was to save hundreds of dollars on my car insurance with Geico. Who are you? The projected increase in organic Q3 revenue. Hooray! Believe it, Geico could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.